constantly move forward. There's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow if you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I am Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host, and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. You can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions, or make comments about the show during the program at on Twitter at hashtag Big Beacon. Big shout out to Emma Schoenfellner, who's live tweeting there for us today. And the first segment of Big Beacon Radio is sponsored by Olin College, a new kind of engineering college, a privately funded national lab for education redesign with a passion for creating inspiring learning experiences. Find out more at olin.edu. And today, uh, we're excited to be joined by uh, a specialist in academic success, Dr. Stephen Jones from uh, Villanova University. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be on the show. Well, it's great to have you here, and and, uh, I guess we've kind of been following each other on LinkedIn for a while, but we connected recently and excited to dive into some of your uh, work on academic success for for, uh, K-12 folks as well as uh, college students. but uh, we like to get a, to know our guests a little bit better before we start. And uh, Stephen, you're an academic leader at Villanova. You've led academic success efforts elsewhere, and you're an entrepreneurial author and publisher to round things out. But let's go back in the time machine. What were some of the early influences that put you on your current path? Well, I'm, I'm a native of Philadelphia, so I, I grew up uh, in my early years in the 60s. <laughs> so. Um, some turbulent times in, in the city yep. of Philadelphia, um, yes. but even in the midst of that, there was a lot of push toward changing lives through education, and um, I just happened to run into both um, you know, my pastor as well as my the educators in my community who, the, the awesome thing was about, about that was that they actually lived in my community, so I could see them, and they could, you know, had an opportunity to encourage me daily, so... Uh, I think that that, that uh, and then community activism, there was a lot of community activism, and I found myself a part of that. And, and so all mm. of that became a combination of bringing me into this whole idea that I wanted to work in, in higher education. And um, seeing the needs of young people in, the, in that community also drove me, recognizing that a lot of people were just like I was, the first person in the family to go to a four-year college and, and the challenges with that. So I think that drove my passion. And I, we could trade uh, Philadelphia stories. I remember being in Philadelphia the day uh, Kennedy was shot. And uh, in I think I was in third or fourth grade at the time. And I'm, I was at the time a card-carrying member of the All-Philadelphia Boys Choir that uh, met down at Ben Franklin High on Broad Street and used used to do something that I can't imagine doing with my own kids today, sending them, I sent them sending, uh, my parents sent me down on the L or the Broad Street subway to go down to uh, Center City, Philadelphia, and, and uh, those turbulent times kind of uh, made it 
made it tough to do some of those things. Comment. Yeah, they, I think one of the things that we, even in the midst of the, the challenges, yeah. that people were organizing and people felt connected to their community uh, in different ways than I would say that they do today in, in terms of, um, you know, we, one of the things that we always talk about is our neighbors also raised us. Um, and I think there's a lot more disconnect from that today. And our neighbors who knew who we were, <laughs> whose children we were. And so yeah. we had some, account- some accountability for what we were going about to do or where we were about to go. Um, so that I think is really important that drove us. Um, and we also pulled other young people along with us. I remember reading on your site something about some particular organizations that that helped do that back then. Are there any that you want to call out or particular experiences that were formative? Well, we had an organization in a section called Mantua called the Young Great Society, and that organization was into social justice mm. um, and making sure that people had access to fair housing and there were a number of athletic teams that they ran. I actually played Little League football as part of that. But that, I think that that sparked the bug as well. So I saw the benefits of having these things in the community and a place for young people to go and connect and see adults and to have additional men in their lives um, and women in their lives that could give them direction. And so I think that that was an important uh foundation for understanding that that the community doesn't get to where it is by itself. There have to be individuals that have a passion about and sometimes they're not, you know, making the biggest amount of money to do that. That they were giving up um their personal gain yes. for the gain of the community. Yeah. And maybe we've already hit it, but also on the show we like to uh, sometimes uh, have there are either individuals in our lives who who trust us and help give us the courage to do something that we might not otherwise have done. And you, you just were speaking about going to college in a family where that wasn't the norm. Um, but um, what uh, to, and and you know Mark Somerville and I talk about these unleashing experiences where that uh, somehow we we get the courage to do something that we might not uh, have otherwise done either from from someone or something happens to us where that occurs. Uh, what to what extent have you had uh, unleash individuals in your life or experiences that have helped give you the courage to go your own way? Well, I, I think it. it you know, I was mentioning. That at, at all levels, and I had a yeah. pastor uh, yeah. who certainly gave me a lot of spiritual direction and to make sure that I stayed on the right path um, and gave me a lot of foundation for understanding the obligations I have for other people, loving other people, caring about other people. And I guess hearing mm-hmm. that message consistently brought me to this purpose of how can I reach out and help somebody else and you know, certain certainly the messages of Martin Luther King and and that he brought forth. But I actually had then yeah. a community leader. Uh, his name was Herman Rice, who espoused those same directions. And he uh, wanted to make sure because we were in the midst of a really bad gang situation in our community, and he wanted to kind of create an insular place where we could come. So I think that that also provided some a safety net for me. Uh, and living in that community. 
And then I uh, always had various educators. I remember Mr. West, who was probably about 6'5". And when you're, you know, you're a child, that seems like a really, really tall person. And, uh, but he, he was caring about us, and he made sure that our education was a priority. So I, I pre- appreciate that to this day, that, that uh, he saw and others have saw, saw the potential in me. And each one of the schools that I attended, whether elementary school, middle school, or high school, there was always that one teacher that gave themselves beyond the call of duty. And it's interesting. You know, we have people on the on the show, and they talk about these experiences, and they're quite various. But oftentimes, there is a, a teacher in the mix somewhere, um, not necessarily everywhere along. But uh, was was there one in particular that uh, that uh, that you can think of that had a particular effect that um, you remember? Well, I had a actually had a math teacher. His name was mm-hmm. Mr. Biddle. And that was in middle school, because a lot of students start getting away from math. Yep. But he really, you could see the passion in what he was presenting to us. And I, I really enjoyed it because something that would be really difficult for others, he made it reasonable and under, uh, understandable so that we didn't, you know, we weren't stressed out about taking that. And so I think it gave a lot of the students confidence that they could do all kinds of classes just because of their ability to get through that class. Nice. And so now you, uh, among other things, and you, you do a lot with students and academic success, but you run a website uh, for your business, drstephenjones.net, that has books and workshops, videos, and other helpful materials. What, um, what inspired you to, to uh, start that business? Well, one of the things that I see especially, again, with first-generation students, that they come to college. They may have had some successful high school experiences, but they don't, they're not aware of the challenges that they're going to face when they get to, to college culturally, um, how their academic preparation matches up with the academic responsibilities when you get to college, and how, freedom, how their freedom matches up with their ability to, to succeed because a lot of students don't realize because they're in high school and they have a set schedule that you're going to have this free time and you're going to have to make um, a plan for how you're going to ensure that you're at every class and you have that responsibility and accountability. So recognizing that there were so many challenges and that you know, the data, specifically when we talk about African-American uh, males only Three out of every ten graduate, and uh, African American young women, only four out of every ten graduate. And so, um, that that's another driver for me. That I, I'm really upset about the number of students that go off to college. They're enthusiastic. The family is behind them, but still they struggle, and they end up coming home after the first year because they can't manage the difficulty of the college environment. So that really drives me, those, those rates. And then um, I wrote the books targeting middle school and high school students because, again, over 50% of them were dropping out and in large cities. So we talk about Philadelphia, Chicago, Detroit, Atlanta, uh, that you have this high dropout rate. And I think a lot of it is as they transition no one's really preparing them and showing them how to study. And that's my goal is to show you how to study with my books, to show parents what they can do to help their children do well in school, and then to give them a scholarship book so that 
they won't tell their children there's not enough money for them to go to college. Here's where you can find the money, and here's how you can get it. So I try to put that in a, a package as a college access package for schools and communities and churches, individuals uh, can purchase those. And those are some, and you know, you, you see the numbers, and and uh, it's it's depressing. And but you, there's sort of an abstraction. But those kinds of numbers are are um, well, it's a form of it's a it's a form of systemic malpractice of sorts. So how do we, you know, so we, so uh, and we hear it to a lesser extent for. Um, you know, for kids, for you know, for white kids, kind of coming out of school, going to engineering school, and we see dropout rates of of thirty percent and and forty percent and even fifty percent in in engineering. But then you, here you're talking overall kinds of of numbers and how it and and how it affects you know future success. It's it's uh, it's pretty shocking. Where, where, you know, so it's and it's a systemic failure. Um, and you actually, the one of our one of our magic words on the show is culture. You mentioned as a, as a in part a cultural misalignment or failure. In what ways is the problem cultural? Well, I I think that if you have a lot of families that haven't sent their children to college, then they don't know what cultures to create yeah. in their homes. Yeah. As far as reading, as far as understanding the value of math uh, and sciences, they don't have those individuals home that can project that uh, into their child's lives. And so they, we, the challenge we then have is students who are continuously three and four years behind in their reading levels while they're in their elementary school. And yeah. so they, they take that on to middle school and high school. And so you have students who are basically coming out without sufficient skill sets. And so uh, I think what I try to do is really work with the parents and give the parents some strategies and tips and get them in a, in a better direction in terms of how much time they're investing in their children so that they can be successful. And, and, and you've talked a little bit about uh, your books and, and um, um where they came from and who they're aimed at and, and talked about it as a package. You've got the seven secrets to study and the parents ultimate education guide, the ultimate scholarship guide. Um, we're going to talk some more about get inside those books and talk about um, some of the things that you've learned in, in leading uh, academic success uh, centers and, and uh, in your role now as an associate dean. But um, you know, what else needs to be said about um those books and where they came from and how they help how they help people before we get into the more detailed conversation. Sure. So for me, the idea that you would send students, it's, it's kind of like building a house. You don't build a house unless you have the equipment to build the house. Yeah. But we're sending students into these academic environments without the equipment to be yeah. successful as students. Yeah. And so my idea is that I'm going to give you the steps in managing your time and organizing yourself for a test uh, and dealing with the stress of learning and making sure that you know how to take advantage of goal setting. And in the books, I also give uh, the impressions of college students and what they're doing to be successful as a student. So there's a, there's a roadmap, and one of the things that I try to get the students to look at is how can I 
and working with the school, find a mentor who can help me get through this process. Um, how can I find someone who actually is, whenever, wherever I go to a, a college campus, who is that person that I can connect with that will bridge the gap in the information that I need to know to be successful? So I think the book is all around, I call it college success. What are the, what are the tips and strategies that help you to be a successful student and how to measure your goals that you're uh, trying to achieve? A lot yeah. of students, I, when I ask them, what is your goal? Why are you going to college? They can't answer that question. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so I try to bring that out of them. You, you have to have a goal to achieve the, the, that graduation. And maybe you have a career idea, but who are all the people you need to connect with to get to that career? And try That's, to bring up those conversations as well. Yeah. This point about connection and getting help is is a part of the conversation. Let's let's take a little bit of a break and come back and and talk about some of the secrets of academic success, and then talk about this this uh, problem of getting help. How about that? Fantastic. Uh, this is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, Dr. Stephen Jones, and uh, stay with us. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, some of the seven secrets of academic success in the next segment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call one 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. Uh, I'm Dave Goldberg, and the second segment is sponsored by Three Joy Associates. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation to help transform your organization. You can uh, ask the guest questions or make comments on Twitter at hashtag Big Beacon. And uh, I also want to uh, um, call out the uh, Big Beacon's Educational Transformers Unconference, which was just held, and another version will be held a year from now. But uh, keep an eye on bigbeacon.org for the unproceedings of the unconference. Uh, uh, 
and and take a look at the future of uh, what engineering education culture may become. And so we're back with our guest, uh, Dr. Stephen Jones, uh, associate dean at uh, Villanova University. And and Stephen, we were we were talking about um, about your books and. <clears throat> You've you've been in this business of helping students succeed for a long time at at Drexel at Villanova in private practice. Um, as you kind of sit back from this career of helping, um, what are say one, two, or three of the biggest lessons that you've learned looking back at at helping so many students? I w- I would say that even though a university is big, an individual in that campus can feel isolated. Mm-hmm. And it's important for students who are new to the, the college to find communities to be a part of, and that helps students to be successful. When students are isolated, there's some research that says within the first six weeks of a student's college attendance, they decide whether they want to stay or whether they want to leave. And so just creating an environment for themselves, being taking initiative themselves, and I what I do is I encourage all students to go to a summer program. If there's a pre-college summer program at the university you plan to attend, go to that program. Those students graduate at a higher rate than students who come in through the normal admissions process. So I think one of the lessons I've learned is to, you know, get students from the very beginning of their college experience to reach out and to get connected with the university itself. You know, this point about connection and community, such a big point. Actually, you started the show talking about the importance of community and people in your in your community knowing who you were and, and the sense of connection. And, and there was some research back when we were starting iFoundry at the University of Illinois that pointed in that same direction. And so we tried to scaffold a freshman student community so that students would come into a something rather than just being kids in a dorm who went to classes with other students, this, this, this sense of that they belong to a something. And, and, and I, I don't, I'm not sure why it is that we have created this culture where you're, you're sort of just, you're an individual, but to what, to what extent is this kind of individualism responsible for, for some of this feeling of lack of connection? Well, one of the things that students realize, oh, here's a good example. When I went off to college, uh, and I'm going to use a football analogy. When I went off to college, I was the captain of my team. In fact, from very early on, even in little league and high school, I was always the captain of the team. And so when I got to college and I started playing for the team, what I realized that everybody on the team was captain of their team. So they were the best of the best that were selected for this particular college. And that's what I think students don't often realize as well, that they're coming to an environment where these students are some of the best of their high schools. And your education at your school may not match up in the same way that their education was for them. So, for example, I'm in an engineering college, calculus. Uh, calculus at a school in Philadelphia may be different than calculus out in the suburbs where there's a private school. And so they they may have gone through four chapters of calculus in the high school in Philadelphia, whereas 
the high school outside of C is going through all 10 chapters of the book. So you get yeah. that differential. So now I come with that skill set to the classroom in the college, and the instructor is expecting everybody to have read all 10 chapters yeah. and, and going through all 10 chapters of the calculus book. So you get a discrepancy. And students well, don't yeah. often, often understand that. Yeah, and buried, and not even buried, it's really at the surface of that story is a story of, you know, so you use the metaphor of teamwork there, you know, they're captains of their their teams, you were um, as well, but um, but then it's a matter of, well, competition among, so, well, how good a captain were you as opposed to, and in, in, in teamwork, we frame teamwork as collaborative, but we frame being a student as competitive, from the get-go, uh, you know, so there'll be a certain number of students who get A's, B's, C's, D's, and there'll be a certain number of students who have to flunk. And so there's this sense that um, um, that it is kind of a zero-sum sum game and we're playing playing from scarcity. So not only did, did we shift from, say, teamwork to individual work, but we shifted from collaborating, which we do on teams, to competing with others. So it's... it's uh, I guess this goes back to your remark about culture. It's culturally a very kind of different, um, you know, coming from a place where people may have wanted students um, who were attentive in class to succeed and go on to college to a place where there's kind of an indifference to it. Comment. And and that points down to selecting the right college. Mm. Um, I, I find a lot of students, don't do the college visits that are necessary for them to make a good decision. And so I'm always encouraging them to go. So there's these college tours that go on, and then yeah. the parent doesn't have to wait until the, the young person's senior year to start going to visit colleges, start um, getting them a, a sense of the opportunities that are there. I, I'm hosting a, a summer program myself right now for high school students, and all around the country, there are these various high school programs for students, whether it's commuter or that the student stays on campus. It's a great experience for them early on to see what it's like, to see what the food is like, to see what the instruction is like, to see how the people are on the campus, and then interact with some of the college students that will be there and have their questions answered. So that, that early development, that early exposure, I think is really important. Nice. And so let's dive into your uh, seven secrets to studying. And we don't want to give away too many of the secrets. We still want people to go out and buy your book. But um, there are seven secrets in the book. Uh, listeners can get the book and find find them all out. But you know, what's what's the top if you, one secret? If you had a student sitting here, well, we we may have some parents and students listening to us right now. So what what is the what's the the big one that that doesn't get the attention it deserves? If there's if there's one that you can call out. Yeah. Well, the the main one is is time management, mm. the and not procrastinating. That I always ask the students: Are you in the procrastinators club? Are you do you have a full fledged membership? And what do you do not to get things done? Because it's those distractions and thinking that getting to college, thinking that your free time is free time, not study time. And and so encourage them to understand that their free time is study time, is research time, is reading time, and that they have to be disciplined enough to implement that that into their schedule. Um, every instructor thinks their class is the only class that you've 
you have. I, right. I don't know if you had that experience, but I had oh, that yeah. experience. Yep. yep. <laughs> I, mean, I would have several books per class that all had to be read, and there was an expectation that when I sat in the class, I would know what the instructor is talking about. So, so that's kind of one of my other tips is to make sure that you read the book before you go to class. And that's what we're talking about. Elementary school, middle school, or high school, uh, a lot of the students are reading the book on the bus on their way to school. I see. Um, uh, and so you're going to be distracted. You're not going to be able to focus on what you need to learn within the book. So I'm making sure that they have a good study environment and that they're actually making notes while they're reading these books so they'll be prepared um, in a way for the test that they're about to face. Yeah. As a, a coach, I love good questions. I love that question you asked. So what, you, you know, what are you doing to uh, – I'm not getting the exact uh, question the way you asked it. It was so nice. Uh, but about you know, what, are, what are you doing to procrastinate? What, I, what are some of the – when st- and students, I'm sure, tell you the stories of how they procrastinate and how they, how they justify it. What, what are some of the common things that students tell you about why they're, why they're members of the Procrastinators Club? Well – one of the things that uh, gets to them is the fear of, for example, a term paper. Mm. A lot of students in high school today don't do a lot of term papers in writing. And so they get to college, and now all of a sudden I have five term papers to do. And so they procrastinate. They just put it off and put it off, and I'll wait until the final month, and then I'll get on top of it because I was able to, to do that in high school. But they don't realize how much more in-depth the papers that are required by college, um, and that if they don't procrastinate, they could actually maybe take it over to the reading center or the writing center or um, talk to the professor to review it before they hand it in. They don't, they don't have no awareness of that. So it's important to know exactly you know, what the requirements are so that you can be successful. So I'm, yeah, so I'm hearing kind of a more of a stimulus response mentality of people reading stuff on the bus and or doing homework overnight, but they're not used to larger projects like term papers that require doing little bits of work over long periods of time and then bringing bring them together. That's one story that that they tell you about being procrastinator and and behind it all is fear of this thing that they don't know how to do. Is that fair? Right. Exactly. Yeah, so okay, so then what other maybe there's another story that they tell you about being other ways in which they're members of the procrastinators club. Um so they know they need to meet with their teacher and go over their assignments, but they continue to wait and wait and wait. And by the time they get the help that they need from the instructor, mm. they're, it's the day before it's due. And so they end up with insufficient time to do a really good job. I have a student who had a, uh, had a paper to do, and she, this, is, this is at the college level. She had a paper to do. She was typing yep. it. She waited till the last minute to get it done, and she walked away from her laptop to go to the restroom, and she came back, and her laptop was gone along with the paper that she had oh my. Uh, she was yeah. working on. And so, you know, always one of the tips I give to all the students is back up your papers, whatever assignments you're doing, sure. put it in the cloud, put it on a flash drive, but make sure that you have that system that you can keep the additional copies of that information because you don't want to start all over again. And <clears throat> some instructors may not have mercy 
Sure. If you um, turn in a paper late. Well, and as instructors, we've we've heard those. You know, we've heard about the old soccer injury, and we we've heard we've heard a lot of those stories. And sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's hard to know uh, which one. Which yeah, the dog. We've heard that. Yeah, the dog. That's a favorite. So we you know, we've heard many of the stories. So it's hard to know which are authentic or not. But actually, I was thinking about the story uh, of. Um, that sounds that sounds like there's fear behind that story too. What is the what's the the young woman or young man fear about going to see the faculty member, the professor, the teacher? Well, the the fear might be is they can either say that whatever they turn in late will get a lower grade, mm. or that the instructor could say, "I'm not going to accept anything because you know the due date and it should have been done." Uh, and uh, some instructor would really be kind if they gave them an extension. Yeah. Uh, many in faculty don't want to do that because they have hundreds of students that they're reading papers for or assignments for. And they're also, I, I view college as training ground uh, for professional life. And so if you're getting accustomed to turning things on late or working on them late, you'll be doing that when you go to work. And another example that I give of that is that some, we're doing sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars in proposals that are due. Let's say tonight it's due at 12 o'clock, before 12 o'clock. That means by 11.59 tonight, that proposal is due. If I turn that proposal in at 12 o'clock, it will not be considered. And now faculty are doing the same thing. They're telling students to send them their documents electronically, but there's a cutoff and they must make that cutoff, whatever that time is. So that's, again, training for you to go, when you go to work, things that are due are due on time and before time, if possible. Yeah. So um, this is fascinating, and I, I guess I, you, know, you, also, um, you also write uh, some of your books and, and your posts and things for parents, in what ways are parents supporting or not supporting um, the, the transition uh, that students have to make between um, high school and college? Well, one of the things that I see is, especially as a, as a young person moves from, when they're in elementary school, the, the, the parents are generally very passionate about their children. Again, middle school, they're still a little there. They're still there, and, and, and they're available. But I see a lot of parents that send their children off to high school and basically say it's on you. You, you, get, you go meet with your counselor, meet with your advisor, the high school will get you through. And that's a disconnect for me. That, and mm. one of the most important times of a young person's life in terms of making some decisions as to the next step, that the parents aren't involved. And so I really heavily encourage them that this is the time where you need to make the connections. This is the time where you need to show up. Because what you're trying to do is, I know they're teenagers, you're still trying to keep the doors of communication open. And so it, it's amazing. My daughter played an instrument in high school. Yeah. And even at times where she said she didn't want us to show up, we would show up even though she said, oh, you don't have to show up. We would show up anyway. And guess who was looking in the audience for her parents? Of course. <laughs> My yeah. daughter. Yeah. And so um, it's a, your, your presence is important. And sometimes in those walks home or in the car, then your high school student will bring up conversations. 
and it'll give you opportunity to give some input to them. So my my challenge to parents is be a part, be connected, and be a resource to your to your high school students. Well, and what is it about? You know, so I, you know, some of it's just time on task. But by the time a student six, you know, sixteen years into uh, raising a young person is it's a long time, and and uh, it's a hard job. But what is it? Um, what do, what do you see in the the students that you work with where people are are pulling out, or it's it's on you, as you said? What 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 are what story are parents telling them themselves that? says that that's okay or that's a good thing yeah. for their kids. Well, well, I think, again, now I'm specifically referred to the African-American community. Okay. Uh, there are a lot of families where there there is a single parent, so yep. they may be working a few jobs. Yeah. Um, so this is additional work, something that they don't have to think about because they're in high school now and they're more mature. And mm. so... That's one of the, the factors that plays into it, um, that, you know, they don't have as much time available because they're trying to basically survive as a family. And so that's when I, I um, like for parents to have partners, uh, other family members at least that can show up for events and activities. I know my, my wife and I, we would show up for all of the parents' activities that are at the school we sure. make sure that uh, if there was something that we could do to support the school, it also gave a certain visibility to your to the parent that's, that that parent is involved and the parent wants to know uh, how their child is progressing. So there are things that can be done to really make good connections, and I think that starts from day one when your when your young person enters the ninth grade. Anyways, this is this is really uh, great stuff. I, let's. I think we need to take another break, and then I think we want to hit this. Uh, the next segment hit this whole problem of getting help or getting help, offering help um, as 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 one of the the challenges here. Let's do that next segment. Right. This is Big Beacon Radio with our. Uh, special guest, Dr. Stephen Jones. In the next segment, uh, we want to we want to talk about the uh, the problem of getting help. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call one 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And our final segment is sponsored by Big Beacon's upcoming webinar. Join us on Wednesday, July 19th at 4 p.m. Eastern for. Four Keys to Ineffective Educational Change or How to Botch Transformation Without Really Trying. Learn the four mistakes that people make in modern change initiatives and how to overcome them. And learn how you can join Big Beacon's communities of innovators today. Go to bigbeacon.org to sign up or write to me, Dave Goldberg, at deg at bigbeacon.org to find out more. And and we're back with uh, Dr. Stephen Jones having this uh, fascinating conversation about academic Success and Stephen, we were talking about um, getting help and and how essential it was. Um, you know, the culture of higher ed is different. Uh, um, it's it's tougher. It's more competitive. It's individualistic, and we can wish that it was otherwise. And 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 some of us are working to make it otherwise. But in the meanwhile, it is what it is. Um, but uh, Ed Shine uh, at MIT wrote this wonderful book called Helping and, and said that helping is this uh, difficult problem uh, emotionally. When you help someone, you're essentially asserting status over them. And uh, so you're sort of that person, the helper is one up over the person who's being helped. And so it's a problem of um, – it's an emotional problem. Um, and – you know, we've been talking a little bit about uh, students not going to seek the help they they want. Is 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 this is is this part of the problem that students think they shouldn't need help, or emotionally it's difficult to ask for help? What's what you've you've done this for a long time? What's your sense? Yes, um, I, I, students. I think it goes back to my early example about the captain of the team. Yep. Students being the top in the top ten percent of their school never needing help throughout high school and yep. then get to college and they actually need help and they don't want to admit that they need the help. And one of the things that I found over the years is that the students who need the most help were the hardest ones to get it to come in for the help. Mm-hmm. And the students who were succeeding, they were going for tutoring, they were meeting with the school counselor, they were meeting with the faculty, students who were already succeeding. So you, one of the programs that I ran at Drexel University for the state of Pennsylvania had a charge for myself and my staff to reach out to those students and bring them in. And we actually had peer counselors that would go find them in their residence halls and make sure they came in for tutoring or make sure they met with us so we could see exactly what was going on in their lives. Because when you have a student on a campus, it's not just a student, it it's all about that student. So that that student comes from a family. Um, what are issues that might be happening at home that could affect them? What are issues in their relationships with their roommate that could be a problem? What are their issues if they're on a specific in a specific organization that are affecting them? So it's not just the student that you see. There's a whole big picture, and 
and them being mixed in with maybe a bunch of students who are succeeding and not wanting to reveal that they need help. And pride getting in the way of that is a, is a big challenge. Yes, that's that's so interesting, and I you know I wonder you know there's a sense and and uh, Carol Dweck's work on mindset seems to me to be related here. This idea that there's kind of a fixed mindset where you either got it or you don't, and that if and a growth mindset where if you're not succeeding now you can you can work hard and improve. And I wonder if some there isn't embedded in some of these cultures this idea that well you sort of yeah you know, so. Um, and maybe it's a disconnect. Okay, so you were the t- you were the captain of your team. You were the top of your class in the school that you came from. In that context, you had it. But when you get to campus and you're not succeeding at that level anymore, now you don't, and and it's it's viewed as a failure, a, a, a fatal failure. It's viewed as something that you can't recover from because you don't actually believe in improvement. Comment right, and and the other thing is you had coaches and teachers. Yep. at the high school who pushed you, who encouraged you, who made sure that you um, met with them. So you might have had that level of nurturing at the high mm. school level, and now you're thrust into an environment, and it's up to you to go and reach out for those things. And, yeah, to go get it, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, never having to, to do that before, and that's why I go back to the summer programs are so important because during those programs you get taught the ben- benefits and advantages of taking available all the things that are available to you to be a successful student. And it's the wise student that goes to get help. It's the smart student that goes to get help. And when they hear the stories of other college students who say, I went to get help and I was earning B's in college. So that's, that, that's always a good story for the students to hear. Well, and the role of stories is is so important. We don't actually, in engineering, we don't think of stories as anything real, but the, the stories that people tell themselves can be empowering. Like I can improve or, uh, okay, I'm not doing well now, but if I get help, I can do better. Or I can tell myself, uh, well, I, I was top dog, but I hear I'm not, and there's nothing I can do about it. Those are two pretty different stories about the situation. One can lead to improvement and success. The other one leads to, to dropping out. So this, the role of, um, the stories that students tell themselves and how and helping them change their stories if they're not empowering stories. Comment. Uh, and and they get that uh, those empowering stories, those the self esteem, yeah, uh, from and others that they come in contact with, from parents, from things that they're reading, from videos that they're watching. All that feeds into who they are becoming as a person. And so if they're constantly getting that positive feedback, and yes, you can, and you, know, you can turn this around, um, and the words are, you're going to succeed, then those are seeds planted that can grow and blossom into something really positive in their lives. So as I'm talking to parents, because one of this, the programs that was started across the country called Gear Up was to get parents in the sixth grade to stop saying to their children, I don't have enough money to, for you to go to college. Uh, don't think about college because there's no way you're going to make it financially because look at my circumstance. The goal of that program is to change that and say, based on your current income, here's what you're eligible for. Here's what you can do. Uh, here's what the types of colleges that your child can go to. We want you to push them. 
And so that can you know, turn the message. So my whole point there was, parents, your messages, your words are power to get your children um, in the right direction. So think of, in, of uh, their future in a positive way and then say those positive things that will help them to pursue higher learning. Well, and and uh, parents, you know, if, a, if if we're talking about education as being a bootstrap into um, uh, higher forms of earning and and things like that, and coming from coming from families where they're the the tradition or culture of education has not been strong. So if a parent says, "Well, I didn't go to high school and didn't graduate from high school, that's okay," or says it doesn't support the the student's aspiration, or even feels personally perhaps a little threatened by the fact of a student going and achieving more than they achieve. It, 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 can, it can be very harmful. And, and sometimes that, that other older child in the family is like an anchor additional parent, especially if it's a single parent situation. Mm. And there's some fear around that person leaving the home because they watched the children when the parent went off to work in the evening. Um, they made sure that they were fed. They made sure they got up in the morning. So they were almost like the additional adult in the, in the home. And the whole idea of them going away somewhere uh, becomes a big challenge for some families. And so in those cases, I say don't let that stop you. Partner with the community college. Maybe that's where you can start and still be available to the family. But don't be a discouragement to your child's dreams and goals of pursuing higher education. Yeah. Yeah. So before we you mentioned early in the show um, situation in the African American community where I think it was what eighty, but it was eighty percent of not graduating of men and sixty percent of of women not graduating. But it, there was a. But that's um, neither number. We'd, you'd hope to improve both numbers, but it's falling disproportionately. On men, and if we look at the statistics overall in college, higher education generally, that we're finding women are succeeding, are 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 succeeding, getting in, staying in more more than than men. And I, I wonder if this is connected to our previous conversation about pride and and uh, and the difficulty of seeking help. Well, and that again starts way back in the third grade. Mm. Unfortunately, um, there are a lot of prisons that actually predict how many prisoners they're going to have based on the reading levels of third graders. And so that that uh, fallback situation where they're always behind and they're moving through the education system and they're not prepared to um, to have a goal to go to higher education because they're, they're not being pushed to learn at these higher levels, it, it just grows and grows and expands. One of the things I will say in Philadelphia, um, there are a number of male initiatives, and I'm really always excited about those, that they do have an impact on young people's lives and get them out of their communities and expose them to things around the world. And my hope is that more of those young people that come out of those programs will be mentors, will start their own programs so we can reach even more. Because you need a bigger base of young people who are academically prepared if I want to have a larger number at college. The national average is about 30% 
of all students go off to college. And so I would imagine in our and the African American community that that's maybe twenty percent, or it may could be even less depending on where you're at. So the the key to it, and I think of that when I think about engineering, since I work in the engineering department here yes. at Villanova. Yeah. Um, the key to getting more engineers is we got to create a bigger base of potential students who've done the kind of rigor while they're in K twelve to come into engineering. And uh, that can't be uh, just having five schools in your, in your city offering calculus. Uh, it has to be every school having that opportunity for students. And one of the tips that I do say to, to parents is if you have a school system like that, community colleges offer pre-calculus and calculus. And if your high school doesn't offer it, but you know you want to do engineering and science, go to... Those, those community colleges to get those credits and get it approved by your school before you go. Yeah. Well, I wish we had more time. I've got um, half a dozen more questions, but I'm going to give you the last uh, word. We've got about a minute left. Um, what, what thoughts do you, uh, we've got maybe some parents listening, we've got some students listening, we've got some faculty listening, K-12 and, and higher ed. What, what do you want to tell them as your parting words today? Um, I'm I want to talk about real quickly about goal setting, and I I want to say to whether you're an educator, a parent, and a student, to write down your goals, make them measurable, follow a calendar toward your goals, so that if you know you want to go to college, what are the steps I'm going to take through all throughout high school? What grades am I going to have? And then the teachers doing the same thing. How can I encourage young people? What are different strategies I can use in the classroom? And then have a monthly check-in on your on going toward that goal. Uh, we're aiming at things, we're not hitting it because we're not we don't have a true target. So I'm, I just want to encourage more people to have that target to to work toward. Thanks so much. And people can contact you at drstephenjones.net, right? Absolutely. They can. Well, well they, yes, they can go right to that website, and there's a an opportunity for them to send me messages and ask me questions. Great. Thanks Thanks so much for uh, being on the show with us today. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Stephen Jones. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel, on our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.